When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Talkle Empire, the spotlight settles on Happy Valley as they host College Game Day to bring in Auburn and a rather fascinating week of non-conference matchups with a few conference ones sprinkled in there as we figure out who's worth watching and who's Iowa. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to the preview edition week three on Off Tackle Empire, the only podcast that really gives a shit about the entire Big Ten um, for purposes that are not comedic, and some of which very much are, but uh, oh, most but unironically, most of it's, most of it's comedic. Oh, well, yeah, no, most of it's comedic. It might be comedic, but it is also unironic. We do mean everything we say. Before we get to that slight programming note, we're going to be adjusting things here in an attempt to level out the length of the recap and preview episodes, because it's always been harder for us to talk about things that have not happened as opposed to things that have happened. We are now going to recap non-conference games at the beginning of the preview episode, so we'll talk about stuff that happened in the rest of college football before we get to talking about what will happen in the Big Ten next week. This but not before I crack open Odd Side Ale's Citra Pale Ale as our win fight tribe rooster of the week. You know what? Odd Side decided we can take this one hop and we can take this, you know, fairly replacement level mash build that we were left with by the previous guy and we can make something decent, although not the most exciting, out of it and we can win some games with it. Bert! <laughs> so... To take a quick spin around a, a truly fascinating week in college football. We'll start with perhaps. Do you think the most this is predictable the most... thing that could have possibly happened? Yeah, yeah. So Texas in week one had a win over a ranked opponent. Granted, that week that ranked opponent was Louisiana, not LSU, Louisiana. And of course, of course, new coach, new quarterback, win over a ranked opponent early in the season. Texas is back with two K's. And then, the next thing that happened is that they were decidedly not back, getting absolutely trains just steamrolled by Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas looked an awful lot like the very best version of Brett Bielema, Arkansas, in steamrolling Texas. Or like Paul Pet- or like Bobby Petrino, Arkansas. The main reason they look so much like Brett Bielema, Arkansas, is that the offensive line coach, who's largely credited as the engine that made that team go... Uh, is Sam Pittman, uh, after he left due to uh, somewhat, I guess, differences, um, mainly the coach being an asshole, uh, Bielema's Razorbacks went downhill, and then the players openly campaigned to have Pittman back uh, as the head coach, and then they did it again when they went through the two-year Chad Morris experience. Yeah, because enough of them were still around. They're like, hey, we still remember Sam Pittman, and he's still the one who made us good, so how about you bring him back? And that time... 
the Eddie Wilson. <laughs> yep, much like the uh, kind of like the Chris Peterson to uh, Brett Bielema's Dan Hawkins. Division One football! You thought there was no way we could make Texas Arkansas about Illinois. Have you learned nothing? Well, my point is, Texas is not bad, and Arkansas, interesting again. Very hogalicious. Yeah, and so, of course, the funniest angle here is that starting next year, Texas is going to play in the SEC, and even with their improvement, Arkansas is, what, generously the ninth best team in the conference? They went 3-7 and seven in the SEC, and everyone was like, uh-huh. That's pretty good. keep that yeah. up next year. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so now, life in the SEC where this is like the one of the bottom three opponents you're going to see every year who just, just absolutely rolled you over and... Presumably, the conference is not going to protect your feelings from people giving you horns down all the time. Well, of course, you'll have a brother in that disrespect box with Texas A&M who damn near joined you in not being back by trailing 7 nothing to Colorado for like the whole game yeah. before scoring 10 points at the end. This game, as I just watched it on GameCast and looked at the stats, you know what it reminded me of is the... Uh, a Michigan State Arizona State. I game knew recently. you were gonna say that, and I and hated like, you before the what is came the point out. of fifty-five minutes of this game? Other, there was none. There was none then in either version of the Michigan State Arizona series, Arizona State series, and there certainly was not any point to this game happening. Colorado's got a hell of an interesting non-con this year, don't they? Because they're gonna come up in our previews. They play Minnesota this week. Hmm. I don't know why they they agreed to that, but anyway. Elsewhere, new Tennessee starter slash future NFL draft pick Joe Milton loses to Pitt. Things are going great for Tennessee. We had a replay of two, so there are two very meaningful replays here in very different ways. First of all, we had a rematch of the of the classic Cheez-It Bowl from a few years ago, Cal and TCU. This time, both teams cracked 30, in regulation no less, an astounding Offensive performance for those two programs. 34 to 32 TCU. The one thing that, that I didn't look into, which I'd be very curious about, is did the schools have this game scheduled before they played that bowl game? And either way... you got to think they did, because that was only three years ago. Yeah, and most of these games are scheduled like 10 years out at least. Whether it was scheduled when that game happened or not, like, for, let's, let's examine the first scenario... The game was not scheduled, and they put this together at the last... Because we learned that last year, by the way, that games can be scheduled at the drop of a hat. There's no need to schedule them 10 years out. That's ridiculous. But let's pretend that it was not scheduled, because I think that's the funnier scenario. I think it's funnier if they played that it, that entirely memeable uh, Cheez-It Bowl a few years ago. I almost said Redbox, because that's where my mind goes when I think of bad bowl games. Wonder why. But they played that Cheez-It Bowl a few years ago, and... I just imagine in my head that the athletic directors are, you know, sl- you know, shaking hands on the field afterwards, and they're like, "But we really got to do this again, huh?" Yeah. That's the funnier scenario to me than the alternate, which is they played that bowl game, and the athletic directors did not immediately look at each other after the game and say, "We can never let this happen again." This, <laughs> what like maybe they just hadn't remembered that they had had that scheduled, and then. They went home and looked at, you know, kind of their future calendar and both, both at the same time went, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, so this is a much more watchable game than last time. And then something else that was an interesting game that should not have been played, 
Vanderbilt 24, Colorado State 21. Steve, why is that an interesting game? Well, both of these teams have a very uh, dubious distinction from week one. They both got absolutely shithoused at home by FCS teams. They each lost by about three touchdowns, uh, with the only difference being that Colorado State managed to score several themselves, whereas Vandy was held to 23-3 by East Tennessee State. So <laughs> you had two teams that covered themselves in glory week one uh, against the only other team to share that distinction, played a pretty competitive game. Steve Adazio is in hell. Because it was kind of like losing to an FCS team again. Yeah, man. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with that hire. Because we were mentioning, you know, the last couple coaching cycles, they've taken swings on SEC assistance, basically. And Mike Bobo was a miss. But Jim McElwain was certainly a hit. They made a ton of money off of his buyout to Florida, if nothing else. And so that they weren't willing to go that route again and basically keep spinning the wheel. He was a former SEC assistant. They were pretty far, pretty far back, man. I get, okay, yeah, I guess you could. But if you look at the type of offense that he plays and you look at what Colorado State has been doing the last few years, you look at that and say, well, you're going to lose a shitload of games. You're going to lose every game you play. For like three years. Yeah. (laughs) So. um, And then you're going to win about six of them a year. Right. It's a, it's a strange hire. Usually a team in Colorado State's position is willing to go high risk, high reward, because even if you hit a guy, he's going to be gone anyway, and if you miss, who cares, fire him and try another guy. Notre Dame apparently decided to take their opportunity of being on TV in front of a very limited audience of idiots who pay for a second tier of access to NBC content and screwed around with Toledo and had to escape at the very end. Yeah, their uh, win percentage was down under 6 at one point in this game. I love that Notre Dame got kicked off a of TV, by the way. I think we should always ban Notre Dame from TV, unless they're playing somebody that, that there's some interest in watching. But generally, I'd like it if the Notre Dame broadcast was uh, stripped from TV in general. So I applaud NBC for taking this step. That's and all, very progressive action. And when they're hitting two birds with one stone here, doing what you just mentioned, and also charging old people more money. Because that's who watches Notre Dame, is old people. Other hilarious events. Florida State played absolutely inexcusable like Jim Caldwell level decision making past defense in a Hail Mary situation they let the guy catch it and run in for 15 yards out they lose to Jacksonville State and then what happened? Well, then a Florida State lineman proposed after the game as Jacksonville State celebrated <laughs> behind them like there's pictures of this and you can see the Jacksonville State players in the end zone and, I mean, I wish them all the best, but uh, was that the last game she was ever going to be at? Well, here's, so, we were talking about this briefly before we started recording, and I ventured the opinion, well, why wouldn't you just wait to win a game? But, <laughs> what does it say about your confidence in your team if you're like, shit, we're not winning another game this season, I might as well just do this now. Well, also, you figured that Given Jacksonville what? State is a game that you have a reasonable shot to win. Yeah, but keep, and, and keep in mind also the bigger context here, which is that, from the second he got there, Norvell basically had a player revolt on his hands because of certain ways he went about certain things. And now he does this. How many players in that locker room you think are really on board with Norvell right now? And this is after Willie Taggart's somewhat disastrous uh, departure there. Although, Willie Taggart never lost at home to an FCS team. Man, yeah, I guess. I, you just can't help but one. And again, I was careful to say in the, in the recaps of last week, and I still think this is the case, that Scott Frost can still pull it out. But... Is this is this not just 
firing Mike Riley to hire Scott Frost, assuming everything's going to be much better because of the pedigree. And then he gets there, and it's just like, oh, man, this guy's really bad at the off-field part of this. I hope it's, oh, it's not going much better on the field. Okay, well, all, all parts of this are bad. How, I mean, how, how charmed does Oregon feel right now that Willie Taggart decided to leave them after one year? Man, I can't, and, and that's they... I, st- I still, the whole time Mario Cristobal was unemployed... I was just screaming about, like, how is this guy unemployed? I don't know, man. What What the fuck is going on here? Why doesn't Illinois hire him? He probably had several coaching vacancies in the time that he was unemployed. Well, he wasn't. He, after Florida International fired him, he wasn't unemployed. He went and worked for Bama. Yeah, but as he would have taken the, a head coaching job. As one of their menagerie of, his, of former head coaching assistants, yeah. They fired him for Ron Turner. I just... Again, like I said, and, and that leads us into this next thing beautifully, because... The theme between that story we just we just discussed and this next thing is sometimes people who have positions of power are still very dumb at making decisions. Um, USC gave up forty two points to Stanford, a team that almost got shot out by K State in Week One, and is also coached by David Shaw, who would never who, bought, in, who, who would, would never who would never score deliberately score forty two points. No, he, he they gave up forty two points against the opposing coach's will. And then USC fires Clay Helton. They're one and one this season. It's September thirteenth, and they're one and one. It it's what had he not yet shown you prior to the first two games of this year? What had you not yet seen that you were waiting to see before you pulled the trigger? And so when I say that people in positions of power are nonetheless just just dumb all the time, as if I mean as if the larger world doesn't tell you that. What does the athletic director, like, how, what is his strategy here? What coach does he think he's going to get a head start on recruiting right now as the next USC coach that he couldn't have talked to even a couple months ago, like even late in the offseason, if he still had that short of a leash on Clay Helton? Now, I guess I understand a little less at, like, you know, Rutgers doing the Chris Ash thing. I mean, because the other thing is, you're talking to guys anyway. Sure, always. You I know, think most of the time you're, when you're, you're in a job doing like that, channels yeah. and you don't, you you really don't want to fire a guy at the end of the season without having a pretty good idea of who you're hiring. Yeah, well, so and, you're and, having and, these conversations in closed doors anyway, and it's some, not like yeah. it really benefits you that much. And I think some, in the case of USC, it's got a lot to do with excuse me, it's got a lot to do with wanting to send a message to the donors and the people who pay the bills. That like yes we're 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 done we are moving on finally at long last I think a lot of those people are pretty fed up but at the very least yeah you, you looked at the amount of people that have come out and been like I can't do this anymore the amount of former <laughs> USC football stars the amount of influential West Coast culture people who've come out since that game and been like I just can't anymore I just can't it's just not tenable at all it's just. I think that was kind of more the point than anything. I still the timing though, man. Like, but it's like have some conviction. Why would you do this now and not two, three years ago? Yeah. So there's that side of it, and the other side of it is instead of letting an interim get in there and go like eight and two or something, which is possible with their talent. Well, and also it's something they've had before with Ed Orgeron. With Ed Orgeron, and then yeah, and then it was like, well, we and can't play Helton. Yeah. <laughs> right. This long interim period creates this awkward thing where there's going to be some faction of some size that says, well, why don't we keep this guy? 
Um, and then you end up with Norm Chow as your head coach or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. Well, I don't know who actually would be the interim head coach, but point is, that's how, many, how you got here last time. Yeah, well, it's like how many former Pete Carroll assistants are even left that they haven't already tried. Oh, dear. <laughs> and by, the, you know what? They did leave him on the tarmac, but that was a different athletic director. Oh, boy. You know you could see it happening. Only in my... Only, you know what, you know, you know, given the other institutional issues going on at USC right now, they need the the clarity and moral leadership of Lane Kiffin in this hour. <laughs> I don't even mean that as an ingest anymore. Um, but yeah, I just like, again, you fire this guy two weeks into the season, whoever is the interim now has 10 weeks to make his case, which is, like, nobody gets that kind of opportunity as an interim. And even if you're talking to a guy now and you try to lock something in, you could have done the same thing if you'd fired your coach in, like, week nine, and USC is still going to be the best coaching job available. So, the upshot of all this is talking about, like, weird times to fire a coach. You have this weird interim thing that might happen, and the whole time I'm thinking, my initial reaction is, why would they do this? And I'm thinking, oh, like, I'm an Illinois fan. I know why they would do this. Because they're incompetent. But the point is, (laughs) you're making me think so much of Illinois... You shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Don't, right? Because... Don't, don't model your decision-making after after Mike Thomas or, or any of the other others who have made those calls. The administration. Speaking of which, yeah. let's talk about the week to come. Now, of course, if you listen to our, our season review, thought that I'm basically at a point where I'm, I'm ready to, to put them right back on the road to 2-10, and 10, uh, with the caveat that at the current rate of recruiting, that would be unacceptable, and we'd certainly be looking for them to... Uh, for this coaching staff to either make an improvement next year or make an early exit. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and say one other thing. There's a not insignificant chance that Illinois competes against Maryland only because... The X Factor. The X Factor. The Loxley Factor. Yeah, when I see that team with that talent at the skill positions and Mike Loxley and Ron Zook on the coaching staff... And I see them go in and play a mistake-free game. I'll, I guess that I'll believe they're for real. But that's the one thing holding me Howard, back. Howard doesn't count on paper. On paper, yeah, they should absolutely tear us up. I don't know that their old line is all that good. Um, they've got all this talent at the receiving uh, positions, and they've got talent at quarterback. They've got talent on the defense. But the question is, are they going to be volatile? Are they going to be? Are they going to like discipline? Are they going to be more like Virginia or more like Nebraska? Um, See, that, this is all very... thing. Against West Virginia, if they don't have a 4 nothing turnover margin, they don't win that game. No, it's a bit yet. deceiving. It looks kind of like they controlled the game, but they got a 4 nothing turnover margin. Yeah, and then they played Howard. So I'm, I like Maryland because their talent is flashy and fun to watch when they're clicking, but... I'm going to do you solid here. You, you had, we had very nice X's and O's conversations there just now. Well, turnover margin, talent, all that. That's all well and good. Um, I'm going to cast some voodoo on Maryland, though. And what I'm going to do is play Taulia Tungabailoa as one of my quarterbacks in our mutual college fantasy league this week. Because um, I've, see, I've seen the despondency that you're falling into with Illinois here, and I want to help you because you're my friend. So I'm going to sprinkle my fantasy football wasting disease on your opponent's quarterback, and I'm going to give your team a real chance. I guarantee, within my, in my starting lineup, 
least three turnovers, no more than one touchdown. Um, but for real though, that passing attack's gonna go buck wild. It's gonna be bad. We're gonna need to come out with the two two high safeties because if we come out showing all man like we did um, against Virginia and Nebraska, Dante Davis is just gonna run right past us and score a really fast touchdown. Him and Jarrett, um, and look, it, that's I think we that's... don't want to have to make Arts at Cal- well. It's gonna be Brandon Peters starting the game. We don't want to make either of these quarterbacks throw the ball forty-five times in a game. It's gonna be starting. We'll see how long he lasts. Which again, I I don't, that's I shouldn't make light of that, but um, well, he does hold the ball for a long time, and he gets hit a lot. So because he holds the ball for a long. Time. We bring up that game first. It's I believe the only conference game this week, and it is Friday night as well. So you know. Traveling to a different time zone, it is a night game. Maybe things, you know, maybe weird stuff happens. Maryland should win this one, and they should put up a lot of points. Mm-hmm. But um, they also, I remember the time that uh, Juice Williams passed for 462 yards and put up 20 points against uh, <laughs> against Tim Brewster on homecoming, uh, notably failing to get into the end zone four times from fourth and goal from inside the one. Yeah. Okay, so there's a few other games, and I, I misremembered this when we were going through the recap episode, and that I thought there were a lot more tomato can games this week, too. There's only a few. There are some, and we'll run through those. Delaware at Rutgers. Um, it, I wonder, does Rutgers have, like, some kind of regional travel association for their non-conference games? Because they don't play anybody who's from far away. They, they had Syracuse. They've now got Delaware. They racked up nearly a quarter billion of a dollar of they, they're at oh, nearly yeah. a quarter of a billion dollars of debt. But this game's at home. They ought to be able to pay whoever to go there. I mean, I guess you want somebody... So maybe the buy cost is cheaper for Delaware because they can just take a bus. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, there's not going to be much to see there. Rutgers can play their quality defense. They can, you know, throw the ball badly as they usually do. Run, it, run it 40 Flacco, times. Blue hens. Nah, run it 40 times and you'll be all right. Um, Kent State at Iowa. It would Kent be Kent State is going to Iowa this week. Take it away. And Kent State is a team that should, in theory, be on the rise in the MAC, but they've had the misfortune of going to Texas A&M and now Iowa, which are going to absolutely suffocate the promising offense with the kind of quarterback that makes plays at the MAC level, but isn't going to get it done against Power Five competition. It's probably going to nevertheless be about a 10-3, type of game midway through the fourth quarter. Maybe you get a fumble return for a touchdown, but I wouldn't want to see anything that exciting. It might be a little bit more than my heart can take at this point. I'm on a lot of blood thinners. If anyone out there can figure out what this voice is that he's doing for Iowa games now, please tell me because I know like it sounds like something. I just can't put my finger on it. And uh, I, it's by the way, that's a thing now. That's that's never going to go away. That's carrying into basketball season, even though they play a very exciting brand of basketball. Uh, get used to that. You're going to be hearing a lot of it. That's that's what Iowa is now. Elsewhere in the tomato can category of games, Tulsa going to Ohio State. I'll tell you, man, I sure wouldn't want to be the drywall in Ryan Kyle Day's path after a loss. Hmm. That's about all I have to say about that. Never mind. Yeah. I think I think enough of our fail. Again, they're going to win by a million. Um, they're going to come out with a with a focused bloodlust in their eyes, I would think. 
Keep an eye on the defense, though. If they can't tighten things up, certainly against the run against Tulsa, they may need to consider firing Kerry Combs, like, now. Well, Tulsa's previous matchup with OSU was 28-23 in Stillwater. They're 0-2 with a loss to uh, UC Davis at home, though, so... Yeah, this, the, the, Tulsa's had a couple of decent teams recently, but I don't think they've quite replaced some of the guys they lost. You know, Zayvon Collins was a first-round linebacker from there last year. They've historically had decent quarterback play, but I don't think this Tulsa is a traditional live-wire Tulsa. Last of the games, there's really nothing to see here, Northern Illinois and Michigan. I can't think of anything interesting in that game that we're going to talk about and actually speak into existence. We're just going to mention that that game's happening and move right past it. No, I mean you can at your own leisure check out the like the rosters for that game. Maybe you know maybe, maybe a name sticks out to you. you maybe know, some but, maybe something interesting. But that's something that we, we trust you to do with your time. We got our time's better spent elsewhere. We got our stuff to talk about. Nothing nothing to see here. Move along, citizens. So we mentioned earlier that Colorado's on quite the quite the tour. They're going to be hosting Minnesota this week. I believe I got that right. And the question, if you're Minnesota, is. How did how did a relatively you know unremarkable Colorado team take Texas A and M to the wire last week in a low scoring affair? Well, they zeroed in on Texas A and M's ground game and made the Aggies beat them with a very unsettled passing attack. You better hope Chris Ottman Bell is back for this game. That's all I'm saying because if Colorado was able to stop Texas A and M's running game, they can stop Minnesota relying on Trey Potts. It is. Fairly amazing that Jimbo Fisher's been there as long as he has, and they just have not shown any ability to throw the ball. They had some moments with Kellen Mond. Um, I do think it's so. One interesting thing, as I've commented on a few times, is like all their receivers left. Half of them are up here now. Yeah, that's that's Dalen. Yeah, yeah. You name Jimbo Fisher Florida State receivers. I mean, you got. Main one I remember. Travis Benjamin. um, Yeah, Kellen Benjamin. uh, Travis uh, Green. Rashad Green. Rashad Green. Um, Kelvin Benjamin, yeah, not Travis Benjamin. I don't know where I came up with that. Um, but still, you named two guys off the top of your head. The only thing I can think of from Texas A&M is Jace Sternberger, who was a tight end. Yeah. Who I mostly remember because the Packers drafted him, and he featured heavily in the seven-overtime game. Right. Um, but anyway, interesting matchup for Minnesota. If their one game can deal with a Colorado attack that just shut down, or a defense that just shut down Texas A&M, that's a good sign for what they're going to look like with Trey Potts against you know a higher quality of opponent. But again, I think I figure Otman Bell probably plays in this because it did sound like he could have gone last week. You really hope that the timing is there because I think Colorado's game plan is going to be make Tanner Morgan beat them, and he's done that in the past when given the opportunity. Yeah, but they absolutely. haven't they have not given him the opportunity yet this year. You know, sounds weird to say, but could very well be that Minnesota's passing attack is just way more reliable than Texas A&M's this point oh yeah for sure well I think one of the so Texas A&M played two quarterbacks last week and I think one of them ended up getting hurt so they again they very much have not solved that question and maybe that's all there was to it that Colorado was able to focus on the run game because Texas A&M's quarterback situation was unsettled um but yeah not not an easy win for Minnesota here at all again you're it's only one time zone difference so that shouldn't be too big of an issue I'd probably favor them to win in this game, but it's not going to be an easy one. Um, Another interesting non-con matchup here, Michigan State at Miami. And given the results these first couple weeks, what I had labeled in the offseason as a surefire shit-kicking 
has at least moved to a toss-up. I think so. The off-season line. I looked at this earlier. The off-season line. I believe the one I saw was Miami getting or giving seventeen, and that line is now down to about a touchdown for a team that's at home again, very hot, noon kickoff mid-September. I like our odds of running it pretty well against a team that in these first two weeks has not finished tackles well at all, but Michigan State has shown that kind of weakness themselves themselves so far. Um, MSU also had a number of minor injuries both before and as a result of last week, so we'll see what their health looks like. Mel Tucker did make sure to rotate a ton of guys, though, pretty much everywhere other than quarterback, where you know Anthony Russo got in for the fourth quarter at Youngstown. They played a lot of guys and a ton of linemen. They've probably gotten nine or ten offensive linemen real snaps and still looked pretty good even rotating those guys. So I think part of that is to prepare for a noon kick in South Florida, you know, a territory that he's more familiar with with his SEC history. So win or lose, this will be an interesting measuring stick game on whether the improvements they've made are for real or if it's just a, if there's some opponent quality to keep in mind there. So... Nebraska at Oklahoma, I still, I guess that we we don't completely agree on this one, but I still just don't think that there's any reason to think it's going to be anything other than ugly. Well, the only thing that gives me some confidence Nebraska might keep it close is that it's Oklahoma's defense, and Nebraska's offense has shown some signs of integrating a little bit. Martinez has played better these last two weeks. I mentioned Samori Toure, a guy I absolutely love, and... So, I, you know, again, I still think it's that they probably lose by at least a couple scores, but the line is 22 points, and that seems like a bit much. It is interesting because uh, in Oklahoma, I think the Kyler Murray Oklahoma team damn near lost at home to Army the one year. Yeah. And then the most recent, of course, they had last week nearly losing to, well, not nearly, but very... They got a, they got a game from Tulane. They got a game from Tulane. They, Tulane had the ball with a chance to score a game winner yeah, um, yeah. before turning it over on downs. But those are kind of triple option based teams. Obviously Army much more so traditionally triple option than Willie Fritz, which is kind of like a hybrid. But Nebraska's going to run the ball a lot. But, but I wonder if they've got quite the same amount of misdirection and deception that, um, well, it's usually, that there's, Tulane there's would have. still quite a bit of option and read stuff in Nebraska's offense. Um, I don't know. I think it's a different kind of threat. But yeah, Martinez is still a threat to keep the ball himself 15 times a game. Marquise Stepp has, I believe, kind of... He seems like their best running back option by a pretty good margin. Gabe Irvin's going to be part of that. But they've got the options. Again, I I still think Toure is the straw that stirs the drink here. So I don't think they're going to keep up with a Lincoln-Riley offense for a full game. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is still within a score or 10 points or so well into the third quarter. I think I'm giving the, the Huskers more credit here than most people are. Maybe to my, again, maybe, maybe to my detriment and to my error, but I've liked what they've done last week in particular. Maybe that's just a residual respect for Buffalo that probably isn't deserved anymore. But. Well, and I guess the question then is you, you get kind of a moral victory. How much does it matter? I think it matters a good deal if they go on to win some... It matters more to you, the team, than it does to the fans. Yes, but I don't think it's irrelevant to the fans. I think if you lose to Oklahoma, 
by 10 points or 14, you feel a lot better about the trajectory of this program than if you get boat raced by 30. Um, and that's especially true if they end up winning, you know, seven games, eight games this year. You can look back on the Oklahoma game and be like, all right, well, look, we ran with a playoff caliber team. We showed big improvement in the win-loss column. This thing is heading the right direction. We were, we didn't, we didn't. Unfortunately, not likely to get tripped up by K State with Skylar Thompson out. Right. Not sure why that guy is just capable of, of uh, being the dick over which OU trips. Not calling him a dick, just using a metaphor. Sure. So, anyway, we'll see how this goes. I, I understand, again, you are certainly more aligned with the consensus, which is Oklahoma's going to win this by whatever they want, and it's probably going to be a lot. I think Nebraska keeps it closer. We'll see. Um, another very interesting game here in the non-conference, Cincinnati at Indiana, where... The road top 10 Cincinnati Bearcats are favored, I think, by seven or eight points. Not unreasonable. This is a very good Cincinnati team. Yeah, really good. They've got an experienced, talented, dual-threat quarterback in Desmond Ritter that is going to be a huge problem uh, for... I mean, I, I would definitely take him over... I mean, even if we were starting over as freshman, I would maybe take him over uh, Adrian Martinez. Yeah, and... Even with him being the name that people know, this is still an offense that's all about running the ball. Indiana's going to have to devote a lot of resources to controlling Jerome Ford on the ground. And that means that the secondary has to be ready for their big threat, their big play threat, Tyler Scott, who's only got a handful of receptions, but for big yardage um, in single coverage. They're going to need Taiwan Mullen in particular to hold up against those deep shots on the outside, I think. Desmond Ritter is very much, I, I view him as a JT Barrett type of quarterback where he's not over an overpowering athlete, he's not an elite runner, but he knows how to get the yards to keep yeah. the drive moving. I he think can that, yeah. make the throws that that can move the chains. He can run, he, he's a smart runner, he knows he knows how to keep the chains moving. And Yeah, I don't I don't know that in the games I've seen him that he has quite the arm Barrett did, but of course if he did, he'd be at an Ohio State type of yeah. program with the with as you say the savvy running that he's got. So uh again, no shortage of interesting games this weekend. This might be this might be a time to uh you know, fake roll the ankle and maybe put those yard work chores on the back burner. Oh yeah, the best part of that's for that for me is I think all my plans evaporated for the weekend. And my team doesn't play on Saturday, so I don't have to be in a bad mood all day. <laughs> uh, speaking of bad mood, I have a f- so I want this game to go and produce favors so badly, but I don't think it's going to happen as they travel to Notre Dame. Low-key very intriguing here. Top 10 Notre Dame is only getting a touchdown at home, I think, By the because... Way, we never got a consensus on Cincinnati-Indiana. Do we kind of think that the... Uh, I think Cincinnati's going to win. I think Cincinnati's going to win, and it, it could be pretty commandingly. I think it'll be close. It'll um, be close, but I think Cincinnati will control the game. Yeah, I. This is another thing where we're we're going to learn about Indiana, right? Yeah. Are they are they the shakeable team that we saw week one? Um, are they going to look? Obviously, it's not going to be the same as it was against. I don't Idaho. think they'll look as bad as they looked against Iowa, but I think it could be one of those things where they get a ten point deficit that they can just never really crack into. It's it's entirely possible. I would still, you know. So but I guess the, I guess them. I just think Cincinnati's really good. Yeah, and I guess so. The question is, because yeah, against a group of five team and at home, a ten point margin would be a disappointing loss. I guess the question then is, um, does Cincinnati cover the spread? Now Cincinnati's one where you should have known better. It's not like scheduling uh, 
it's not like you know we scheduled Virginia and then they went poached a really successful coach. No, this is a team that. It's not like when yeah. we scheduled South Florida and then all of a sudden they had like the the Quentin Flowers year. You yeah. should have known better than to schedule Cincinnati. No, this is they, a they, yeah. This is a school that's outside had, of Tommy Tuberville. They've generally been good. Yeah, I mean Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones. They've had a string of coaches really going back within the memory of any players or administrators in college football now. So um, this was always going to be the potential for a beatdown. And it's certainly worse than they... It, I mean, it's certainly a better Cincinnati team than they could have probably prepared for. But, shit, I remember we went on the road to number 5 Cincinnati in 2009, probably yeah. <laughs> not having thought it was going to be like that. Yeah, it's just one of those maybe, maybe advisable not to schedule them. So um, anyway, to return to that Purdue-Notre Dame matchup... I presume that the reason Notre Dame being in the top 10 only gets a touchdown at home is because aside from Kyle Hamilton, the All-American ball hawk safety, their defense just isn't very good. And, well, and that's what, we and that's didn't what, discuss the implications of the Florida State loss to Jacksonville State, yeah. which is that Jacksonville State held them to 17 points. Right. <laughs> After they scored, what was it, 38 or something like that? Yeah, they, they, gave up, uh, tw- they gave up 29, 28 to Toledo. Uh, we're in a back-and-forth game with them all day. This defense can be had, especially by competent passing attacks and and athletic running backs. Yeah. I don't know that Purdue has the second, but they certainly have the first. Well, honestly, this is something that I was sort of hinting at, which is that I think their running game has a higher ceiling with the guys who are going to be carrying it in Xander Horvath's absence. He was reliable and a useful receiver, their best blocker, so I understood why he was playing. But I think... The combination of Doru and Downing gives them a higher ceiling in the backfield than they had with Horvath. That's, I'd, again, maybe that's a dumb take on my part. But, again, this is a defense that, as you said, all Jack Plummer, all Plummer has to do is keep an eye on where Hamilton is. You can't throw floated balls down the field because he will get to them. But, other than that, this passing attack can be had. And, of course, you're going to want to tell him, hey, look to David Bell early. And, of course, on the other side, they're going to say, hey... You know, Hamilton looked to Bell early. <laughs> right. Up there. And, right. and so... Come over to double really early in the play. And so I think the vital connection there then could then be to Payne Durham, the tight end who's been a very reliable second option alongside Bell. So... Check down to King Dover as well. Yeah. Big test for the boiler defense here, obviously, is that Notre Dame does have um, an embarrassment of riches at the skill positions. Um, Kyron Williams, a fantastic combo threat running back both running and receiving they have their next great tight end in michael mayer and god was it ridiculous what some of these folks were doing on offense in the first half at florida state yeah and then they've got their traditional outside deep threat um in kevin austin and by the way it turns out they have more than a game manager at the controls with jack Cohn. turns out quarterbacks benefit from having a deep and useful array of weapons yeah who, who would have guessed Certainly not future Georgia quarterback Graham Mertz. Auburn at Penn State. The Tigers have had some pretty eye-popping numbers, but kind of not really against uh, anybody that matters. Yeah, they've cracked 60 in both of their first two games, but not against, again, we're talking about very weak opponents. Interesting decision by game day to choose this one over Florida at Alabama, which I think Florida's like 10th or 11th now. And of course, Alabama's number one, so... They usually can't pass up on that kind of thing. But yeah, this is a big non-con matchup, an interesting matchup. Auburn, as they usually do when they're any good at all, 
has an absurd combo of tailbacks and Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. And they have a pretty bad quarterback in Bo Nix, so that's also pretty typical. For Penn State, the recipe here should be pretty simple. Key on the no, run. The and... only thing that's more typical for Auburn about Bo Nix than that is that he's a quarterback that's been really shaky, but who was really good the first time he came in. Yeah. And they're never going to forget about that. <laughs> and every single time he plays, it's going to be, well, he could... He could Get do be that could be again. like that Oregon game from like six years ago now. Um, yeah, so I, I think if you're Penn State, the solution is to, despite the fact that I think Bo Nix is at least a junior, you still key on the run and make them prove it through the air. They they're gonna have the athletes to hit big plays out wide. You just have to have confidence in your corners to keep that to a minimum. Bo Nix is not going to win this game as the focal point of the offense. Probably not. It, much less likely that Auburn wins if he goes off for 300, 350 yards than if you let Auburn get the run established. But if they can move the chains running twice as often as they pass, then it could... Long game, yep. Be real. Well, it could be a short game. That'll be a long well, game. Well, yeah, it'll be a two-and-a-half-hour two game that will be two-and-a-half hours of suffering for Penn State fans. I like Penn State to win this game, though, by the way. Um, I think they are for real this year. I think this this feels like a we're challenging Ohio State year. They don't get those every year, but they get them more than anyone else these days. How much of that is due to Ohio State's extreme human nature at the defensive end? That's part of it. That's part of it. Uh, anyway, around the rest of the country, UCF at Louisville. Uh, it's going to be a wild. Barn <laughs> Burner. Uh, Alabama at Florida, which is not college game day. Astoundingly so, but I assume that just means they intend to go to Florida at some point later this season. Uh, South Carolina is one of the games that everybody keeps talking about how hilarious it would be if Georgia lost. They narrowly fended off East Carolina this past week. Yeah. East Carolina is very bad. Yeah. This is not Ruffin McNeil. This is no. not Skip Holtz. No, this is a bad East Carolina team. South Carolina barely beat them. Georgia is number two in the country now, and yet, <laughs> and yet, it would surprise basically no one if South Carolina found a way to pull us off, because this is the Lego that Kirby Smart steps on every night going to the bathroom, but he doesn't bother to pick it up. Um, Arizona State at BYU, BYU finally, the Holy War changed hands. Yeah. After a very long streak. And so you've got a ranked BYU here, um, ranked Arizona State too, I think they're like 17 or 18 or something. Um, interesting matchup, a little bit of a later start. And speaking of late starts, for those of you who are truly burning the midnight oil, Fresno State, UCLA, from the Rose Bowl, with a 10.45 Eastern time kickoff for your Pac-12 after dark viewing pleasure. Now, if we only had one of those morning kickoffs this week, we could... I mean, that would damn near have 12 hours of, you know, just kickoffs. Yeah, which, I mean... Depending on the, depending on the commercial timing of those late games, because it's not the last kickoff either. There's a couple that start after. Well, that. yeah, Hawaii Forsyth was playing. Probably, um, <laughs> yeah. So it's quite a full slate here. Um, one of the more interesting non-conference weeks of football we've seen in the Big Ten recently. A couple of real marquee matchups there, and some you know some interesting non-conference games as well. If you get fed up, if if it goes south for the Big Ten, and you want to get a look at some other teams. But yeah, you know, keep in mind, again, we've seen uh, Notre Dame is going to play Wisconsin next week, so you may as well get a little bit of an advanced look at them. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've seen a week like this where I'm like, man, 
There's really only a couple games that I'm okay skipping over. Otherwise, how am I going to divide my attention between some of these? I'm just probably going to be still really mad and just do something else. Your source for big game talk. It's off tackle empire.